Well, hello and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, live from Maui, Hawaii, every Sunday, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, West Coast time, 4 o'clock in the East, we're 20 hours GMT, at least during what is daylight savings time for most of the United States. Nice to be with you today. We're going to do a program on how to think like a genius. How to Think Like a Genius. Now, this is a challenging title. It's, in fact, intended to be because I think so many of us are under the impression that either you you have it or you don't, right? <laughs> You're either born with this uh, extraordinarily high intelligence quotient, so-called IQ, or not and that this is something that we can measure and get a number on your IQ. Well, I suppose that arguments can still be made for such a thing as an IQ, and increasingly we hear talk of an emotional intelligence equivalent, a so-called EQ. Well, the truth is both the IQ and the EQ can be trained you can develop both your standard mental intelligence quotient, your IQ can be developed, and of course your emotional intelligence can be developed as well. Today we're going to talk primarily about mental intelligence. When we dip into the emotional intelligence a bit, I'll let you know. But We've done programs in the past on emotional intelligence, or EQ, and we'll do other programs in the future on EQ, how to develop that, and the extraordinary benefits that come from being emotionally intelligent. Uh, I think Kanye West, right, (laughs) is wishing he had a little more emotional intelligence, right? Notice that that outburst, that uh, he got all the notoriety for, clearly was not a function of how intelligent he is mentally. Uh, That was a problem of not being able to manage his emotional nature. So we'll do other programs in the future on emotional intelligence, but the title of today's program, How to Think Like a Genius. This is all about your thinking, about your mentality, and... I'm going to outline ten ways that you can learn to literally put your IQ off the scale. You can't. I, I don't care what you've been told in your life. It's just not true that there is some sort of ceiling or limitation to your intelligence. Now, I will say this. There are learning styles. And some people have, um, how shall I say, an ability or a tendency to learn more or to learn more easily in some areas rather than other areas. So maybe you're really good at math and always have had this thing for numbers and anything mathematical. It might even be geometry or trig or statistics or calculus. You just eat it up. You just can't get enough of it. Whereas maybe in 
some other area, uh, language or art, um, you're horrible. And then there are others, obviously, with um, uh, their own particular intelligence profile, where they might be incredible child prodigies in the area of art and music, and they read really well, but they're not good with numbers. Um, there's a fellow named Gardner that has identified multiple intelligences. And I think initially he had seven or eight, and then it went to ten, and I think he's up to eleven. I think Gardner has settled in on eleven multiple intelligences. And this is good news for people who maybe had problems in school and you were told perhaps on more than one occasion or given some sort of indication that you just weren't maybe all that smart and that others were a lot smarter than you. Well, the problem there is that it's likely that your particular intelligence or set of intelligences is just different than what is commonly tested. So if there's a part of you, and I think this is... (laughs) I think this is true for lots of folks. We may know that we're not uh, the brightest bulb uh, in this area or that area, but deep inside we know we're really smart in some other area. Well, if you've had a problem honoring that in the past, then it's time for you to begin to honor that because everybody is a genius in some area and often in several of these Uh, 11 or so areas. But even that is a program for another day. Today we're going to talk about traits. We're going to talk about what anybody can do, regardless of the profile of your set of multiple intelligences, 10 things that any of us can do to begin to think like a genius. And by that, I mean and I said as much in the newsletter this week, to think for yourself. This is really where all of this has to begin. To think like a genius does not mean to think like other geniuses, right? To think like a genius means to permit yourself and then allow yourself, I guess that's the same thing, isn't it? To permit yourself or allow yourself to literally think for yourself to be less interested at sometimes in what other people think than in what you think and if what you think or what you believe to be true or even something that you've conceptualized in a way that most people can't relate to but you feel strongly about it It's important that you honor that, right? So our whole discussion today of how to think like a genius, how to develop literally your intelligence quotient, your IQ, to be aware of the profile that each of us has, a unique profile of multiple intelligences, you've got to be willing to think like yourself. You've got to honor the ideas that come up inside. And if it comes to some sort of conflict between you and the established world view of this or that,
that or the other thing, give yourself some credit. Just because you're outvoted doesn't mean you're wrong. And many things have lots of room for subjectivity. You know, we live in a world that is still largely dominated by people who think absolutely or who who think in absolute terms as if all issues are a matter of everything or nothing, that you're all right or you're all wrong. And if you're mostly right but just a little bit wrong, you're still all wrong because things can only be right or wrong, no middle ground, as if the world is a big true or false exam. If you've been with us for a while, you've heard me go on about this either-or mentality for years on the radio. The false dichotomies, uh, the monarchistic thinking. Um, today it's often called binary thinking, as in binary computers where everything is on or off a zero or a one, right? Binary thinking, good or bad, winners or losers, everything or nothing, men, women, Republicans, Democrats, liberals, conservatives, capitalists, communists. What kind of multiple choice exam is this? If you only have two choices. (laughs) It's just tragic to look around and see how much of your life or maybe how much of another person's life, somebody you care about, is being wasted and lost because of this false belief that all truth is absolute truth. There is something called relative truth, and most people are not exposed to this. You have to take several classes You might get it in your first philosophy class, but in most cases, you have to take several philosophy classes and be exposed at a university or college level to what's often called the humanities in general, to be exposed to other cultures and other societies and other ways of thinking before you begin to realize the relative nature of things, that that all things are true to varying degrees. Some things are hardly true at all. Some things are almost never true. Some things you could say are purely false. Oh, well, that was an exception, you see. Um, But most things fall in the middle. Having some degree of truth for you, that same thing, a greater degree of truth for me, and maybe a much less degree of truth for somebody else. And especially in a pluralistic society, we have to begin to look at relative truth. And this is a precursor, learning to think for yourself, to honor yourself, and to honor the relative nature of truth. It's not always absolute. Even in science and technology, truth is not always absolute. The vast majority of times, It's going to be relative, right? Newton thought he really had these laws of motion pegged. And as long as we're talking about 
large objects at relatively, there's that word again, relatively slow speeds, Newton did a heck of a job nailing the laws of motion, right? Then Einstein comes along and says, wow, that's all very good, Newton, except for tiny little subatomic particles moving at speeds that approach the speed of light. And then your Newtonian physics gets thrown into a cocked hat. Does that make Newton wrong? Not really. Well, what does it make him? How about incomplete, you see? That's another whole way of looking at things. So with that as a setup, I want to talk about these ten traits. This is from a magazine article that I saved from several years ago. I got it out of Entrepreneur Magazine. And I just thought it was very smart. That's why I saved it. And uh, I wanted to share it with you today. So some of these um, ten characteristics or traits for thinking like a genius have direct comparison to Albert Einstein, who many people think of, you say the word genius, that's the first person that's going to pop in your head is Einstein, right? So where do we begin? Well, we're going to begin with number one. The first trait of thinking like a genius is to use your imagination. It was Einstein himself who said that imagination is more important than knowledge. Now, if you ask people who's the most knowledgeable person, living or dead, that you know of in the last hundred years, uh, Einstein's going to get a big vote. There may be others, of course, but <laughs> it's certainly one of the most knowledgeable scientists and researchers. He had to know his stuff. And yet here's this incredibly knowledgeable scientist, a man who discovered the special and relative theories, the general theories of relativity, and he's saying, you know, knowledge is important, but not as important as imagination. Imagination is more important than knowledge. But now I ask you to reflect upon school, which for you may have been long, long ago, or maybe fairly recently. In any event, were you tested on your imagination, or were you tested on your knowledge. There's an either-or for you. Okay, so I'll grant you, you probably were tested on both. But having said that, which one um, <laughs> to the greater degree? I mean, how much were you tested on imagination as opposed to knowledge? I, I think the whole idea of testing students in school in grade school, middle school, high school, university level, is to test their knowledge, not their imagination. And yet, here Einstein is saying, imagination is more important than knowledge. This is just evidence of the fact that a genius is a person who thinks in 
unusual ways. And this is where it begins. Of the ten traits, the most important thing you can do to think like a genius, to, as I said before, think like yourself and honor your particular multiple intelligence profile. You just get intelligence in a different way from somebody else. You see, that's all. So learn to think for yourself. Learn to dream. Learn to visualize. Learn to use the mind's eye to create visual imagery with your eyes closed to imagine. I always liked the line by Henry David Thoreau. He said, build your castles in the sky and then put foundations under them. Right? Willpower is important, but it starts with the dream. If you have a will but no dream, then you're determined to do what? Think like other people, right? But if you have imagination and you can think for yourself and you're willing to honor that and, and, and honor what I've called these multiple intelligences, I should tell you Gardner's first name, but, you know, offhand, I don't really know. If you just Google Gardner and multiple intelligence, you'll come upon his work. Um, so this is where we begin with uh, imagination. And the uh, the guy that wrote this article for entrepreneur.com talks about Google. Well, I don't know how good your memory is, but when we started using the Internet, most of us in the late 1990s, it was 1995, that AOL had an upgrade that allowed you to get on the Internet. That same year, CompuServe and Prodigy upgraded their software so that you could get on to the Internet. Before 95, there was an Internet, but it was pretty much this military project, ARPNET or ARPANET. And... Um, we had browsers early on. Who remembers uh, uh, some of the original browsers, uh, web browsers? Alta Vista was one. Uh, Hotbox was one I liked a lot. There was one called Dogpile that was really uh, eight or ten browsers that would take your search terms all at once. And then came Google, right? trying to remember when that was must have been around the year 2000 a little after that but I'm not sure anymore I just remember reading about this cool new browser named Google and checking it out and they had this different approach this article that I'm quoting from the entrepreneur magazine article says uh, under imagination the fellows over at Google had all the consumer skills and knowledge that they needed to have successful careers in some firm's IT department, along with tens of thousands of other techies. So what makes these two founders of Google, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, household names, is the fact that they imagined there was 
a better way to search the web, and they created it. Imagination is everything. All right, and that's another reason that it seems to me that while most people look around and talk about how bad the economy is and what difficult times we're in and how there are no jobs, some significant number of you should be jumping up and down and saying, well, no, there there aren't jobs making buggy whips and horseless carriages and big console radios like they had in the 30s. But there's always going to be a job or, better yet, a career, maybe even a whole new burgeoning industry in some new area. How do you figure out what it is? Look for what needs to be done. And that brings us to our second of ten points today in How to Think Like a Genius, which is to always question. Never stop asking questions. Always wonder. It's my uh, my friend, the late Timothy Leary, who used to say these first two points in a single breath and reduced to a bumper sticker. His challenge to, number one, think for yourself, and number two, always question. Timothy would say question authority. In other words, the prevailing belief systems, the prevailing understanding, the prevailing truth, the accepted truth of things. Question it. Think for yourself, that is imagine, dream, and question authority, the prevailing way that things are looked at. Um, This is one of the most important tips I could give you when it comes to making conversation and small talk. Uh, A lot of young people have a problem. Uh, I hear this more from young men than young women, but I think maybe young women and, and girls are able to talk about such matters with each other, whereas the guys are a little hesitant to talk about how awkward they feel around young women and girls with other guys. You know, they don't have that conversation for fear they'll appear weak or inadequate or something. But uh, the truth is that a lot of guys, and for that matter, I'm sure some number of of uh, young women or girls feel awkward and uncomfortable initially um, starting a conversation or carrying on a conversation. And one of the the best tips I can give anybody and often have in a counseling kind of a setting is ask questions. It's really quite remarkable how few people even think to ask questions. They feel as if they've got, um, you know, their share of the conversation that they've got to hold up. And when it's their turn, there's this big hole that you have to fill with conversation. And you've got to be uh, informed and, and clever and witty and smart and tell a story. And then it's got to lead to a point and... The truth is you don't have to do any of that. If you just ask a question, 
of somebody? What do you do? What do you do for a living? You know, where'd you grow up? Well, what was that like? And the shorter the question, I'll tell you, after 40 years of doing interviews on the radio, the shorter the question, the longer the answer will be. If you ask some long, convoluted question, you're probably going to end up getting a yes or no answer. You don't want uh, you don't want somebody to say yup or nope and then throw it back at you. You want to be able to sit back and listen to their answer so that based on what they say in that answer, you can ask another question. You know, to give something to other people Being a listener is more important than being a good speaker. So when I talk about asking questions, I'm talking also about being a good listener. That's a gift to other people. That's a a service we can provide to other people. It says, I'm asking you a question, so I'm interested in the answer. And then, as Dale Carnegie used to say, it's very easy to win friends and influence people all you have to do is genuinely be interested in who they are just be genuinely interested in people listen to them people are far out they're fascinating ask questions okay so these are the first two of the 10 traits of thinking for yourself and and learning to think like a genius um Let's see what the people in the article are saying. One of the most important questions an entrepreneur could ask is, how can I make this better? So whether you offer a product or a service, improving it may be the only way you can attract new clients and retain existing customers. When Phil Knight was marketing Nike to the top of the athletic shoe sales heap, Bill Bowerman tinkered with the shoe's design and made sure that Nike footwear was on the cutting edge of innovation. How can the new model, Bowerman wondered, do better or be better? If Einstein had stopped questioning, we would have been left with his thoughts on relativity instead of his whole theory. Okay, so those are the first two. Now, the third way to think like a genius, according to this article, and I think it's a nice outline, you could probably come up with your own if you wanted to, but I'm just going to lean on this and, and add to it as we go along. Old problems need new ways of thinking, and this is another Einstein quote about you cannot solve a problem by using the same kind of thinking to solve it that you used to create the problem in the first place. If you think like everybody else, then what do you have to offer? What, what, you, may, you may find some comfort in I agree with the majority or I agree with this sizable majority of people and uh, we're going to get all mavericky on you because we are a minority, but we're a sizable minority and we all think the same way, and you find some comfort in that. Personally, I would not find any comfort in thinking like a bunch of other people. I find my comfort in learning to think for myself and 
looking, again, number one, imagination, number two, asking questions, and now number three, and looking at old problems in entirely new ways. One way I do this is to literally walk around a problem. What I mean by that is whatever the nature of the problem that I'm trying to understand or solve or resolve or fix or find the answer for, however you want to say that, I will conceptualize it in my mind's eye. I will see a model of it in my inside my head with my physical eyeballs closed and my mind's eye imagining this is number one again right and I look at the problem from whatever point of view occurs to me first and then I walk around it I walk around the model in my imagination in my mind's eye so that I'm looking at an old problem but I'm looking for literally a new angle and I'll walk around behind the problem, and I'll look at it from the top, and then I'll get underneath it and look up, or I'll get inside uh, the model. And maybe I'll, what do they call those, schematics, where you explode the model, so to speak. Like the old mechanical drawing, or what today is CAD drawing, uh, there used to be these Schematic, I guess there still are these schematic diagrams which are exploded models of what it is that you're working with. Maybe a physical object or it may be a physical representation of a conceptual object or, or concept. But whatever you can do to look at it in new ways and to begin to, again, like I say, to, to, to walk around it, you're looking for a new perspective to stimulate a new way of looking at an old problem. Now, let me go to the article from Entrepreneur Magazine and see what they say about this point. In the 40s and 50s, book publishers printed paperback books based solely on hardback titles that had lost momentum. Uh, this is still generally true. Um, now in paperback, they'll say, right? republished well there's actually a fella you've heard of Ballantine books Ian Ballantine created Bantam Books Incorporated to do just that but he soon realized that he was limiting his profits by sticking to this old way of thinking that is you don't do a paperback until the hardbound book has pretty much run its course and sales are starting to taper. Then you reissue it in a new, more affordable uh, paperback version, right? And like I say, that still tends to be the case with hardbound books. But what Ballantyne did, and much to the chagrin of other publishers and bookstores, was he produced original paperback titles for mass market sales. And here we are 60 years later, both models still exist, and Ballantyne likely would have jumped at the chance to offer books electronically, and that's where we're at. Uh, my business partner, Steve Snyder, just got a, a Kindle the other day from Amazon. Uh, Sony also has a version uh, 
of the electronic book that you can download and take with you. Uh, pretty cool stuff. A whole new way of publishing. And then we have e-books and audio books and such. New ways of, of thinking. All right? You can do this too. Take an old problem and try to find a different way, a new way of looking at it. What if we did it differently? Okay? This helps you to get unstuck. Number four, I feel real strongly about, and that's the idea of intuition. Um, again, to borrow from Einstein, there's this brief quote. He says, the only real valuable thing is intuition. I'm not crazy about the word thing. That's a word we use when we can't find a better word, I uh, I guess. So I don't know what Einstein would have said if we said, wait a minute, Einstein, you said imagination is more important than knowledge, and then there's this other time you said the only real valuable thing is intuition. Well, how does intuition stack up against imagination and knowledge? Well, some would say that intuition is very close to imagination. I, I would be one of those. I think intuition is an ally of imagination, but I'll tell you um, one of the ways that it's different. Imagination could be either logical or intuitive. Hold on a sec here. Imagination can be logical, like our normal reasoning process and or intuitive which is a very different non-logical process so I often say intuition is not illogical but it is non-logical in other words Intuition is not illogical in that it does not contradict logic. Okay, but it is non-logical in that it works in an entirely different way. Here it is simply. You may even, those of you who take notes, may even want to write this part down. Logic is 95% of the time, anyway, logic is deductive in nature. There is such a thing as inductive logic, but I'm, that would just be confusing to get into today. I'm not going to get into that. 95% of logic in the real world is deductive logic. This is what people mean when they say be reasonable, be logical, or even if they say be realistic. <laughs> what they mean is Use deductive thinking. Now, by definition, deductive thinking goes from general to specific. Think of a, an upside-down triangle with the base at the top and the point at the bottom, uh, like a funnel tapering down. General, all this information at the top, tapering down to the bottom general to specific. This is essentially algebra, right? Where you factor 
to break a formula down into the simplest and most elemental parts, and you discover that your your unknown variable, your x quantity, uh, equals some constant number. And you plug it back in, and sure enough, it actually works. Well, how did you arrive at that? You factored. You subtracted the same number from both sides. You added the same number to both sides. You did the same operation on both sides of the equal sign, playing around with it until you could deduce, deduction, subtract. Right. This is how you balance your checkbook. I had this much money, and I wrote these checks, and so I will deduct, deduce the checks I've written to arrive at a new, smaller <laughs> balance. All right. This is how you order from a menu. You think you're ordering what you want, but watch yourself. What you're really doing when you look at a menu is deductive logic. You're being reasonable. You are eliminating what you know you don't want. Often in in you know great sweeps at a time, like you you know it's four in the afternoon and you looked at the menu and you immediately um, uh, decided you did not want breakfast, so all those breakfast choices went away, and you don't want dessert, you want to eat something substantial, so you ignore the dessert menu. Well, now we've got it all the way down to just lunch and dinner and. You say, well, you know, I, I, I have a late breakfast. I think I'll skip lunch and eat dinner. And now we look at the dinner items. Well, that doesn't look very good, and I don't want that. And you get that down to two or three items, and then you choose. That is deductive logic, right? Now, my point is, this is how everybody is taught to think. It's very valuable a very important, even essential way to think. But it's not the only way to think. There is intuition. And intuition is holding an idea in your mind, especially, ideally, when you're feeling very relaxed and safe. That's when the monkey mind, the chatter of ideas competing for your attention, is diminished. And the mind gets quieter and quieter, the safer and more relaxed you feel. And the more likely you are to come up intuitively, almost automatically, with an idea that moves in the opposite direction from specific to general. Remember, logic is general to specific, the upside-down pyramid, the upside-down triangle, right? As you move down, it gets smaller and smaller. Well, intuition is the complement. And, you, again, you can apply imagination to logic. You can apply imagination to intuition as well. But intuition is going from specific to general. If logic is general to specific, intuition is specific to general. And, by the way... Um, Inductive logic is also specific to general. But I've already said I don't want to get into inductive logic. We do it so rarely. Actually, now that I've brought it up a second time, maybe I will 
just touch on it here. <laughs> um, inductive logic is marked usually by if-then statements, and while it can be a valuable way to think, it's often misused as a substitute for real critical thinking, and what passes for inductive thinking often is a stereotype or a prejudice. Uh, a classic example I learned in philosophy class in college was um, if every crow I've ever seen is black, then all crows must be black. The problem with inductive logic here, as you can see, is that if I've only seen 15 crows in my life, that's not a very broad base to extrapolate. That's what inductive logic is. To Therefore, all crows must be black. I've only seen 15, and maybe crow number 16 will be white or green or yellow. or And, then, and now my supposition is going out the window. But if I have studied crows, intently and I've studied other people who have studied crows and I'm pulling on reports of hundreds of thousands or uh, millions of, of observations of crows and they all appear to be black well then it's pretty safe to say based on this huge sample it appears that if all crows that we've seen are black then all crows, including those we've never seen, must be black as well. It's likely. Okay, That's the problem with inductive logic. We use it as a, um, generalization, as a stereotype. Um, prejudice and bigotry comes out. It's often a substitute for being logical, and that's why I'm trying to sidestep it. But I sort of trapped myself into talking about it anyway but different, very different from inductive logic. And the complement to deductive logic is intuition, which just bubbles up. And what is so different about it is that it occurs full-blown. It's an idea, an awareness, a realization that, as I mentioned before, often comes from altered states, being very safe and very relaxed, convincing the brain through slow, deep breathing, closing your eyes, and a release of muscular tension, persuading and convincing the brain that you're safe enough to wonder, that you're safe enough to have your eyes closed and turn within, and to realize, there's a word I like, to conceptualize or realize in a non-logical process this overarching concept, this umbrella principle, this inclusive point of view that explains all these observed details. Remember I said it went specific to general. So, if I have a general concept and I want to break it down and apply it in many different areas, I use deductive logic. Most people are very good at that. It's taught in school. It's math. It's most science. Uh, 
But if I have, on the other hand, many observable details, and I want to intuit an overarching generalization to explain them, logic fails me, because it goes general to specific. What do I do to reason specifically to the general overarching concept? The the German word for this is gestalt. Um, We'd say the big picture, the whole enchilada. How do you promote that kind of thinking? That's what intuition is. And that's where altered states come in. Okay? Let me go to the um, entrepreneur.com article here and see what they have to say about it. Um, They say entrepreneurs use their intuition every day. Intuition told Richard Branson that the Sex Pistols were worth signing to his fledgling Virgin Records and intuition told Hugh Hefner that men would pay for a magazine filled with high-quality articles and fiction, as long as the nude girls were in there, or or was it really the other way around? And uh, trusting ones, the magazine article here is saying, uh, trusting one's gut has led to many of the 20th century's greatest advances. Intuition is often described as a gut feeling. I would be very careful of that definition. Steve and I, uh, on our premium audio program, Finding Yourself in Paradise series over at FocusedPassion.com, did a program on this very thing a few weeks ago. The difference between um, trusting your intuition as opposed to trusting your instincts. You know, George W. Bush made a lot about he just trusted his gut. And uh, Stephen Colbert does this a lot. He calls it, uh, what does Colbert call it, truthiness. You know, it has the feeling of truth, so it must be true, right? Well, that's that, that kind of truthiness, you know, I'm not interested in the facts, I'm just going to follow a feeling, is what caused Bush to be such an inept leader and to basically screw up everything he got close to. It wasn't that he was using his intuition as a um, trusting his gut, so-called. It was much lower than that. It was his instinct. And the difference between intuition and instinct is huge. Intuition I've just described as coming from an altered state of expanded awareness. Instinct is the herd mentality. Instinct animals have. Intuition only human beings have. It's a higher brain function. Intuition is a higher brain function. Instinct is a lower brain function. All right. Instinct is the pack mentality. The herd instinct, uh, the mob mentality. All right, um, it can be beautiful in nature. You know, if you've ever seen a, a flock of birds flying along, and they seem to be so organized. Not even to mention a V of geese or swans, but a flock of birds that all of a sudden swoops 
leaps and dives as if they are part of one thing, or a school of fish that will suddenly all move in one direction at the same time, on cue, as if they were of one mind. That's uh, that's instinct. It's an animal uh, response, and again, not necessarily a bad thing, but there's no comparing it to the higher brain function of intuition. So be careful when you're talking about gut instinct or you hear somebody else talking about trusting their gut. Are we talking about animal behavior, a herd mentality, the group mind of the animal, or are we talking about actually a higher brain function found only in human beings, a realization and intuition that sort of condenses in the mind and is realized. It's like water vapor that precipitates and forms a condensation. That, um, Or maybe even a better example is the, the feeling of light that comes. People describe intuition as an aha experience. Uh, light coming on uh, could be a gradual dawning or the light bulb popping on or or being thunderstruck but here's the difference bottom line note takers write this one down intuition is based in love and harmony instinct is based in fear animals have instinct and they use instinct to run away right intuition is about a realization and aha the Greeks sometimes called it eureka illumination Uh, I have found it eureka aha oh I see and we often move toward it right but the gut feeling that, that George W. Bush always talked about is instinctual, and that's the animal herd mentality. It comes out of fear. It comes out of, oh, no. Okay? And that's why so much of what Bush was about was uh, uh, violence and war and turning away, ignoring our neighbors in New Orleans and, and the willingness to lie and so on. All right, that's four of them. Let's go to five. Strong positive attitude. You might say this goes without saying, but um, it's it's very important in the yin and yang of things, the right and wrong of things, the good and bad of things, to be smart enough to look at the negative, but after you've compared all that is positive and all that is negative, all that is right and all that is wrong with it, given situation to take a breath and exhale and take one step back and see an even bigger picture that is generally positive because what is more positive than understanding realizing um, one of the primary qualities of love itself is understanding in the same way that Failing to understand is a quality of fear. Fear and ignorance go together in the same way that love and understanding go together. So 
to have a strong, positive attitude, loving, solution-oriented, goal-oriented. Um, it's necessary to think in like a genius. You have to come down with a positive attitude. We did a program not long ago called Worry Once. Okay, Steve and I. Again, if you're not getting these programs, check out FocusedPassion.com. I'll talk more about it at the end of the show, but these are compelling conversations that Steve and I do, combining more than three decades each of research in the human potential field to bring to, to basically do all the research for you. And, and if you like this program, well, this is a freebie that's brought to you by FocusedPassion.com. Anyway, we did a program not long ago called Worry Once uh, about how to, or was that here? Maybe that was here at the Mystery School, come to think of it, about how to um, be a positive thinker, but nevertheless, have the willingness to look at the negative, just not dwell upon it. How does a, I think I called the the program, now that I think of it, a positive view of negativity. How does a, 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 a positive, goal-oriented thinker manage negative thoughts? Now that, I, now that I reflect on it, I think it was this series, actually, the Mystery School series where we did that. So let's go to the article here I'm borrowing from to supplement this, the entrepreneur.com article talking about the importance of a positive attitude. They say weakness of attitude becomes weakness of character. In the early 20th century, here's their example, greeting cards were given only for Christmas and Valentine's Day. In 1915, a few weeks before Valentine's Day, a warehouse fire destroyed J.C. and Rowley Hall's entire inventory of Valentine cards and left them seriously in debt. They borrowed money, they purchased an engraving firm, they designed two new cards and printed them in time for Christmas, and nearly a century later, and countless new ideas, Hallmark Cards sets the industry standard. So they reinvented themselves, even reinvented their name. And um, you may find it hard to believe, but uh, Hallmark Cards does over $2 billion, not million, but billion dollars a year. The greeting card industry is a huge uh, industry. So turning lemons into lemonade, right, looking for the silver lining, considering that every disaster just may be a blessing in disguise, but are you willing to look for that silver lining? Are you willing to consider that this horrible thing that just happened to you might actually be a good thing in the long run? You have to think like a genius in order to find, with a strong, positive attitude, those benefits. So those are the first five, okay, of the ten we're going to talk about today, to think like a genius, to truly think for yourself, you must honor your imagination, number one, you must always question, number two, you must look at old problems in new ways, walk all around it, consider the impossible, all right, 
Number four, use your intuition. Know the difference between intuition and instinct, but also intuition and logic, so that you can pull both on intuition and logic. Unless you're hanging out with a pack of animals, the instinct is not really going to be of much use to you. Um, again, unless you're <laughs> hanging out with people that behave like animals. And then five is a strong, positive attitude. So let's look uh, at the other uh, five here very quickly. Uh, number six. According to this article, and I would concur, that's why I'm offering it to you, is naps. This is so civilized and so smart. Einstein took naps all the time. Tom Edison is famously known for taking naps, after which he would wake up inspired. Um, Edison didn't know much about uh, meditation at all in his day some 100 years ago or so there wasn't much at all that was known in the west about meditation it was known some people knew of it but what edison knew was that if he took short brief naps that not only would he wake up feeling all energized and revitalized as if he'd recharged his batteries but he had new ideas these brilliant ideas so what he did was, you know, being the inventor that he was, he would hold a lead ball in his lap and get as close to sleep as he could while thinking of a particular problem he was trying to solve. If he went too deep, he would fall asleep. He'd drop the lead ball. The thud would wake him up. He'd bend over, scoop up the lead ball, and go back to that balance point that you know now is the alpha brainwave level. Ten cycles, plus or minus a couple, like eight to twelve in that area, that very powerful window between awake and asleep. Steve and I call it paradise, paradise thinking. It's technically the alpha brainwave level. And you can get incredible rest there, so whether you lose consciousness during a nap and fall asleep, or whether it's a meditative state, very restful state, but you do not lose consciousness, it's still a nap. And not only will you be recharged in terms of energy, you'll often be imbued with these brilliant ideas. I mean, think about it. It's not when you're nervous and stressed out and all wound up like a snare drum that you get your great ideas. In the middle of an argument with somebody, you don't suddenly get this brilliant insight and go, wait a minute, I figured it out, I understand it. Those come in the shower or when you take the dog for a walk or you lay in a hammock in the backyard, and suddenly you're gobsmacked. You're blown away. You get this great idea, and you jump up out of your nap and go make some notes, right? Geniuses take naps. They meditate. They use visualization or guided imagery. And whether you sleep and lose consciousness or go into the alpha level and maintain your awareness, this is a very, very 
important concept. In fact, did you know that two of the companies mentioned in this Entrepreneur Magazine article, Google and Nike, both have nap-friendly guidelines for their employees. You can you can work in Google or Nike in your office during the day and take a nap, and they're okay with it. Can you believe that? Uh, in some cases, they have special nap areas where you can go, or a chapel where you can go to meditate, or another area where you can lay down. Most of them have child care, and many of these progressive corporations have free lunch, really nice meals. I've, I, I ate at DreamWorks in um, Burbank, uh, Glendale area a few years ago with a friend of mine who was employed at the time at DreamWorks. And it was this fantastic fair. And I said, who do I pay? They said, it's all free. I said, thank you. They said, don't thank me, thank DreamWorks. It's all free. I said, what do you mean? How could they afford to do that? The truth is that when you treat your employees that way, they stay on the campus longer, they work harder, they get more done, they're more productive. That makes you more profitable. And uh, your performance improves. So uh, fight this tendency that you've had programmed into your brain that if you lay down and take a nap, you must be a lazy person. If you have an opportunity to take a nap and your body says take a nap, your ancestors were right. Trust yourself. Lay down. Recharge the brain. Google and Nike and all these other corporations that are starting to do this and see that it's in everybody's interest. Uh, this is the up-and-coming thing. Um, uh, the magazine article says there's a lesson here for entrepreneurs. Other entrepreneurs have used, utilized naps in different ways, bringing napping equipment to the workplace. And there's even a company called Metro Naps that installs sleep pods in company buildings for employee use. Metro naps. Go to work and go to sleep and be more productive, not less. How about that? Okay, the last four I'm going to give you pretty quickly so we can get to your questions. Number seven seems like a minor point, but it's important. You notice how sometimes it's the little trivial uh, nonsense and the BS that seems to frustrate you the most and, and just get in your way. Well, number seven of these ten traits to thinking like a genius really suggests that that is a problem and you just need to rise above the mundane details that often drag you down and sometimes you get stuck in this little minor irritant that is no big deal if you would just breathe and relax and let go of it and Maybe a day later, a week later, a month later, the whole thing resolved itself anyway. Remember, it was Mark Twain that said, 98% of what I worry about never was true and never became true, never will be true. 98% of what you worry about is a fantasy. It's not true. You want to have a plan B? I think that's smart but spend a reasonable amount of time, a minimally reasonable amount of time with your plan B, with your backup plan, 
in case things do go south on you. But a lot of the details that are mundane, truly inconsequential, you can just let go of and they'll take care of themselves. Going to the entrepreneur.com article I'm drawing on today, the stories of Einstein having a closet full of the same suits are exaggerated, but the point of the story is that he did not want to spend intellectual and chronological capital wrestling with one of the mundane aspects of life. What should I wear? Einstein said, what do I care what I wear? It's ridiculous to even waste time on that. The article says, the definition of what's mundane will vary from person to person. Uh, you say spreadsheets are mundane and uh, boring, but uh, know what you consider mundane and hire somebody to take care of those things before they get ne- neglected and drag the company down. It's not something you want to do, but it needs to be done. Um Howard Hughes, before he lost uh, his sanity in the final days and years, did not like the day-to-day administrative duties of Hughes Aircraft, uh, which he inherited from his father, so he hired somebody to handle it, and that person is the person that turned Hughes' $1 million company into a $75 million empire. He just hired somebody to handle it for him. Get somebody to do the stuff you don't want to do so that you can focus on the details that to you are important, leaving the mundane to others. Number eight is a willingness to try new things and in the same breath, a willingness to fail. What most people call failure or a mistake, you can see as a positive thinker merely as an opportunity to learn. To learn from mistakes very important concept. Um, I can think of several situations when I was working. Well, one in particular I can tell you about. Actually, I was working, volunteering is a better word. I was truthfully volunteering for the American Red Cross. They do have paid employees, but most of the really fun positions are volunteers, and I was the disaster action chairman in Glendale, California, for a couple of years. I ended up volunteering for them for over 10 years, and I really enjoyed it. But during the two years that I was the disaster action chairman, something that I initiated was the after-action review, which is after an emergency where we would serve the community, We'd have a meeting and talk about how we could have done better. Well, initially, there was this great rebellion and this backlash as other volunteers were insulted, truly insulted by the fact that I would even suggest such a thing as an after-action review. What did we do wrong, they would say. And I had to keep saying, You didn't do anything wrong. You did a wonderful job, but this is an opportunity for us to learn to do it better. It's a culture of continual improvement. That's the phrase you often encounter in business today, a culture of continual improvement. We can always do better. We can all, and I'm not talking about cutting corners necessarily. I'm talking about being more efficient, being smarter. Uh, just finding a whole better way of doing things. 
and the willingness to try those things and even fail from time to time so that you can fail forward. That's a phrase sometimes you hear. Nice little play on words. Failing forward. Yep, that didn't work, so now we know not to do this. Let's try again. Okay. Uh, going to the magazine article, they say anybody who's ever made a mistake, uh, no, let me say this right. Anyone who has never made a mistake has never tried anything new. Just ask the people at Coca-Cola back in 1985. They realized the error in their ways. Remember New Coke? And they reinstated the traditional formula. But many of their other forays into new flavors like cherry Coke or vanilla Coke uh, proved to be a big success. New Coke was not a, a, <laughs> a big success. Number nine is called maintaining balance. To think like a genius, you have to be balanced. You have to find appropriateness. Um, stay away from those absolutes, everything or nothing, all right or all wrong. And as we said earlier in the class today, go for the relative truth. This is true to what degree and in what situation. Get flexible, okay, and find that middle way. Find that bet. It's not always on the 50-yard line, right? could be anywhere on the playing field. Just stay out of the end zones. Entrepreneur.com says if A is a success in life, then A equals X plus Y plus Z. Work is X, Y. No, let's see. Work is X, Y is play, and Z is keeping your mouth shut. Okay. Um, notice that Einstein did not put absolute amounts on each of his variables. I doubt that was accidental. He knew, and now so do you, that the ingredients to success the formula was going to change from day to day. So whatever for you is the ratio of X to Y to Z, an entrepreneur cannot forget Y, which is play. So if work is X, Y is play, Z is keeping your mouth shut, sort of a clever little game, find that balance. Bring some play into the workplace and I like that Z also, the idea of sometimes it's best just not to say anything. you got nothing nice to say. Don't say anything at all. So work is X, Y is play. Find the balance. And finally, thinking for yourself or to think like a genius, the way you were intended to think, pulling on your inherent profile of multiple intelligences. Stay on top of technology. Early in his career at the Swiss Patent Office, Einstein was passed over for a promotion again and again until he mastered the technology of his day, which was machinery. The entrepreneurs who are remembered at the end of this century were the people who maximized the use of technology. You could say that a hundred years from now, the end of this century. Uh, what is the next Internet? Most people did not see the Internet coming. What's next? Where will communication be in 25 years? What happens as all this media consolidates, as your TV and your computer and your radio and your record player and your movie projector all become one device? Okay, Get out in front of that curve. Start thinking. 
for yourself, like a genius. How will information be delivered? What kind of devices? What will the interfaces be? In many ways, we're limited by the size of the keyboard and the size of the screen. How can we get these peripherals down? Because the computer is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I have a, a Macintosh computer. People say, where's the, where's the computer? It's just the screen and the keyboard. Well, the computer, believe it or not, is in the screen. And uh, where will that be in 25 years? Um, the people who figure out the answers to the questions that are not yet being asked are the geniuses, the entrepreneurs, um, the people in the forefront of their particular industries. And we're not only talking now about hard science and technology, but whole ways of thinking, of values, of, of ethics, uh, I think the fact that America and the world is moving to the left politically and becoming more and more progressive, less and less reactive, that may be happening far too slow for you, but there's no question. You know, uh, A black man in the White House in America, uh, health care about to pass, um, then we're going to end these wars. And Brock will not be able to do everything that we elected him to do. It's amazing that he's done what he's been able to do so far. But we're moving forward. That's why the conservatives, are. if they don't move forward, they're going to be increasingly irrelevant. And progressives, so-called liberals, are going to be more and more increasingly in power and influence because that's the trend of the culture. Not only does science and technology unfold, but our values and our ethics and our belief systems are evolving as well. Okay, So there's ten different ways that you can think for yourself, that you can think like a genius. And I thought I'd share those. I came across those in an old entrepreneur.com magazine article I thought they were pretty good, and I wanted to share those with you uh, today. So let's go to the questions and see if you folks have questions or comments for us today. First of all, let me go to the telephones, because we have a number of people on the telephone, but I see no hands raised. If you're on the phone and have a question or a comment, press star 2. That'll raise your hand. Do that once. If you do it a second time, it'll lower your hand, and I won't see it. Um, none of you seem to want to do that today, so we'll go to the text questions. And, you know, I'm having a browser problem, the same browser problem I had last time with this. So let me um, let me open up a different browser real quickly. It's funny, some on this site, some some parts of it I need to access with Safari because Firefox doesn't act right. And then other parts of it I'm understanding, I have to uh, use Firefox for. But Safari doesn't work right. Did I say that right? <laughs> All right. 
let's see, let me go to the text questions. That'll just take me a second. Here we go. We've got uh, Carol Postella of La Habra. She says, hello, Michael. Great to talk to all of you. And hello, Carol. In Gary, Indiana, Theodore is with us, T3, Theodore the Thinker. Uh, he says, listening to your genius episode attentively. And uh, in Montrose, Shauna is with us. Hi, Shauna. Nice to hear from you. She says, um, couldn't get through to listen by the phone number, um, but she's listening on the web. So there's a whole bunch of phone numbers that work there. Any of the numbers on the on the web page in front of you that are right above the player, uh, there's a couple of 415 numbers, but if you click on other numbers, you'll find phone numbers all over the United States you can use. And as soon as prompted, then an, uh, just enter the conference ID that's also listed right there. Um, let's see. Theodore and Gary's uh, talking about Kanye. He said Kanye later thought better of it when he found out that the usually reserved President Obama called him a jackass. I don't think Obama knew he was going to be quoted on that. <laughs> and uh, Theodore says uh, it made him think of his mother, who would have been highly upset with him. Uh, West is obviously a genius and an expert manipulator of sound, but his emotional intelligence is limited. I think that's well said. It doesn't detract from his talents or his skills or his mental intelligence that he got emotionally overwhelmed. And uh, I saw him with Jay Leno the next night, and Leno brought up his mother, his recently deceased mom, which was a bit of a low blow. That sort of wiped Kanye out. He couldn't really talk after that. In Tucson, Lorelei says, Aloha, Michael. It seems your first instinct is always right, and when I second-guess myself, I usually make the wrong decision. Great topic, as always. Peace and love to you and Doreen. Thanks, Lorelai. Um, if by instinct you mean intuition, I would agree. Okay. Again, instinct comes from fear and may or may not be right. Uh, you can't trust it the way intuition can be trusted. Often people say your first impression, that's a reference to intuition more than instinct. And I, I know we're not all on board with the same terms, which again says something, doesn't it? If we're not sure whether it's instinct or, or intuition. Um, let's do a few more and then we'll do our meditation process for the day and I'll let you guys go. From England, Jacob Martin is with us. Hi, Jacob. He says, greeting, Michael. Um, funny that I had a V of geese fly directly over the house just this morning. And a couple hours later observed, uh, let's see, observed a cat be susceptible to its instinct and kill a pigeon, much to my dismay. And as you mentioned, the fact that we have to sometimes tell our mind it's okay to relax uh, affirms the fact that it's our consciousness where our intuition dwells and where our strength is, and that balance is a good idea. Great class and good day to you, Michael, and cheers to you, Jacob. Thanks for staying up late in Britain tonight. So it must be about uh, uh, 
almost 9.30 in the evening in England right now. Yeah, I think it's important to begin to make that distinction that, uh, as Jacob says, intuition comes from a higher level of consciousness. Uh, instinct is much more base. Um, if you're a yoga student, you could think of intuition as being in the solar plexus, whereas instinct would be in the root chakra at a much lower level, much more survival or fear-oriented. In Irvine, Robert says, Aloha. He says, wow, you nailed it so many times with my intuition telling me I should go for it, but then the instinct jumps in and says, be real. You can't do that. What would people say? I've got one of those voices, Robert. <laughs> i got one of those voices. You have to do what everyone else says and... Blah, blah, blah. Thanks, Michael, for the insight. Have a magical week. Thank you, Robert. I know exactly the type of war you're talking about. And um, here's Lorelai correcting herself. She said, I meant to say intuition. <laughs> and she put that up before I made the comment. So, And in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Hello, Harrisburg. Hello, Pennsylvania. Drew Smith is with us. And says, hello from PA, Michael. Glad to be able to listen live today. Thanks for the weekly inspiration. Since I don't generally get to listen live, I don't get to say thanks uh, for your commitment to these very important topics. And, well, Drew, you're very welcome. Uh, I, I guess I could take credit for being committed, but I'm just, this is what I care about. This is what I love. So you're very welcome. I feel blessed to have the opportunity to do it. Imagine if there was nobody like you to listen. Wouldn't be much point here. I'd be talking to the cats. Doreen's heard all of this already. In Los Angeles, Dale says, Great show, Michael. Appreciate you investing your time and energy in the show and all of your endeavors. Thank you, Dale. Say hi to Lisa for us. Nice to hear from you. Donna in Albuquerque is with us again. Beautiful New Mexico says, hello, Michael. What a wonderful class today. I love steps that I can write down and actually practice and see where I'm off balance. I feel really positive after hearing you talk and got a bunch of great ideas. Thanks a lot. Make it a great week. I will for sure. Thank you, Donna. I will too. Donna in Alpha Valley says, what you said about conversation made me think of Doreen's Profiles in Peace series of interviews. She's great. Thanks to Doreen. Thanks to you. I've passed. Oh, I passed hers and your websites on to friends. I remember you telling me when I told you the old saying that you can lead a horse to water but can't make him drink. And you replied saying that's not true. You can make him drink. You just got to make him thirsty. That's exactly right. Make him thirsty. <laughs> so. There's some of the folks who are leaving comments on the uh, on the website, and one of these days, you bashful people on the telephone. It looks like a couple of people are doing both, which is no problem. Just know that the webs uh, the web feed will be delayed about 15 seconds. Let's do a quick uh, alpha process, and then I'll uh, close up class for the week. I think I've extended the time. Yeah, we're good. We're in good shape. And the class is just getting bigger and bigger. 
Oh, there we lost we lost one, but okay. Let's uh if you gotta go you can come back for the replay and remember this program's podcast also. The replay is at theagelesswisdom.com. Include the T H E the W's dot theagelesswisdom dot com. Click on home page and then web teleconference. See all of the old programs there. You can listen streaming online or click on MP3 download and bring it right onto your computer. And if you're using um, iTunes or if you have an iPod or other portable MP3 player, uh, subscribe to the podcast. Just go to the iTunes store or any other podcast directory, all the big ones, and type in my name or Ageless Wisdom. You'll find it. And uh, the podcast of this webinar or this class, of course, is free. The newsletter is free. The archives are free. The blog is free. All the e-articles are free. Um, And then we have the premium audio program. For those of you that can't get enough and want the very best of what we have, that will cost you all the 99 cents a week at FocusedPassion.com. You can get six programs free there just by leaving us an email address. Choose a password and you're done. Just click on the button that says send me the free stuff. And uh, if you want to add to that collection after the first six, then three ninety six a month is all we'll bill you. In fact, some months you get five programs, so it's a pretty good deal. It's... Uh, whatever that works out to, $47 and something a year, 99 cents a week times 48 weeks is what it comes out to. Focusedpassion.com. That helps all of us. That that helps us keep all of this stuff commercial-free. So if you if you can afford 99 cents a week, please subscribe. It helps us uh, to... This is an expensive endeavor, and we don't want to advertise. We don't want to accept ads on our podcasts, nor do I want ads on the website, and we're going to do everything we can to prevent that from happening. Also, you get a lot of special deals. We're going to do um, more webinar, more, um, I don't mean to say webinars, live seminars. We're going to do a Maui seminar next year in the probably late spring or early summer a full transformational week, and uh, those who are subscribers and contributors of uh, 99 cents a week at Focus Passion will get some really nice deals on the uh, the, the Maui week, uh, the transformational week that we're going to do next year. Very excited about that too. So, and you can forward unlimited numbers of all of these programs to your friends. Even the premium audio program, send as many as you want, as often as you want, for no charge whatsoever. And uh, everybody likes to forward things. Imagine forwarding these programs. You can do that for free on both of our sites, theagelesswisdom.com and focusedpassion.com. And those of you who are subscribers, thanks. Like it's, I know it's not a lot of money, but... It's significant, $3.96 a month, and it really helps in the long run. helps to pay for all of this stuff. So, close your eyes and relax. 
Take a nice, slow, deep breath or two. And give yourself a couple of minutes to shift gears. As you begin to let everything slow down, take a second or a third really slow, deep breath, inhaling and then exhaling as slowly as you can. For some of you, that may be three or four seconds. For some of you, it might be eight or ten seconds just to inhale and another eight or ten seconds just to exhale. If it's difficult for you to go beyond three or four seconds, it just means you need practice relaxing. Imagine feeling so stressed that you're in a hurry to breathe. Well, time yourself. See, just how slowly can I inhale before I feel nervous, like I have to gulp the rest of it? And how slowly can I exhale before I feel so anxious that i got to breathe it all out and grab another breath right away? It's, it's, to feel safe and relaxed should be no problem taking as few as three breaths per minute. And after three or four nice, slow, deep breaths, let your body just sort of breathe itself. Turn that over to autopilot and feel yourself relaxing. Feel the letting go. Create and sense a feeling of letting go. Imagine yourself softening like butter on a warm day, yielding to the wonderful feeling of relaxation. With your eyes closed, feeling very safe and relaxed, use your imagination, the first trait of thinking like a genius. Use that imagination to pretend, to imagine that you're in a beautiful, natural place, a garden, an Eden, a heavenly paradise. With sunny, warm meadows and green trees, you could be down on a lonely stretch of beautiful beach, up high in a mountain, in some beautiful green valley someplace the prairie, the savanna, a desert. You dream it up. Whatever seems to you to be idyllic, halcyon, safe and relaxing. And imagine yourself sitting upon the ground, feeling rooted into the earth as if you like a tree or a blade of grass, have roots that connect you deep into the earth. And you can just imagine, the feeling you're making it up is exactly right. Just imagine, pretend that you know how that tree or that blade of grass feels to be rooted into the earth. Be grounded. This is important. For you are an electrical being. You are a spiritual being of energy. And all energy seeks an earth ground. So imagine being grounded, plugged in 
to the earth. And as important as that is, almost as important, is the idea of also being receptive to what precipitates down from above you, as if a gentle rain of inspiration is drizzling down upon you. And when you're in paradise and it rains, you don't go inside. You don't care. (laughs) That's one of the beautiful things about it. Just a very light, gentle mist, I'd suggest, precipitates down. And you could think of that as being funneled into the very top of your head as if there were a gentle vortex, a gentle whirlwind coming into the top of your head so that you are like a battery hooked to the ground and the sky to the material world and to the spiritual world which is the source of your good ideas plugged into the sky is sitting receptive to the impress of imagination And this is all attitude. It's about a willingness to dream, to learn from the negative, to return to the positive, to seek the balance of the middle way, knowing that that's not only the 50-50 yard line here at could be 98-2 or 30-70 or over on this end, 60-40. Anywhere on the playing field, the full swing of the pendulum, except for the peak extremes on either end, the full range is the middle. All these permutations and variations, these alternatives are yours as a creative thinker, as one who dreams. And now I want you to remember the areas of your life where you have a particular interest. The idea that your genius is part of a multiple intelligence, a a profile or a pattern of intelligences in certain areas, strengths in some areas, weaknesses in other areas, all of which could be developed. But consider your passion. Consider the areas in your life where you've always had a natural interest. And begin to dream those dreams. and wonder and allow yourself to remember when you were a little boy or a little girl and you were familiar with that wow a real sincere golly 
isn't that neat? Oh, that's so cool. Or maybe there's a baby in your house. Maybe your baby or someone else's in your family. And you can watch that fascination as the baby explores and learns new things. The desire to be like that baby. Interested in exploring. A baby comes on a bright red ribbon It touches it, it feels it, it rubs the ribbon on its face. It puts it in its mouth often to taste red. What does red taste like? It wants to know all about it. When did you give that up? Sit quietly and ask yourself, when did I lose my natural, childlike curiosity? When did I lose the wonderment that made life so fascinating to me? When did I stop dreaming? Who was it that told me at first and later convinced me that there was no point in trying, that I was being foolish because I was different from most and that I should never follow my dreams but instead be much more practical, much more realistic. In fact, consider now as you feel so safe and relaxed whether, like so many of us, you have accepted the lie that to dream of solutions is silly and fanciful, but to fixate on a problem and look only at the negative is somehow realistic with your feet on the ground. What is realistic about solving problems? Let me let me restate that. I want to get this right. What is not realistic? What is so unrealistic about solving problems by dreaming of solutions? And what is so therefore realistic? about solving problems by focusing only on the problem. Where in the world have we gotten this idea that it's more realistic to fixate and obsess on the negative than to dream of options and possibilities and choices and dreams as yet undreamed. This is the most seminal state of mind that any of us can engender. For all things begin with a dream. Your dreams are the seedlings of reality. Look around you. Your life is a manifestation of your dreams. And if you don't believe it, 
dream something positive and wonderful, believe in that dream, learn from the mistakes that others might call failure, and persevere, and watch those dreams come true. Honor that you are a unique individual and can look at situations and circumstances, events and problems in ways that are unique to you and unlike any other person. Indeed, this speaks to your value as an individual, as a unique being. Here on this planet at this time, because nobody else sees things exactly as you do, no one else understands things quite the way you do. You are not only special and unique, your presence here is imperative. Life needs you to be here at this time because of your unique point of view. Would you honor that? Respect that about yourself? Trust it? Rely on it? Believe in yourself? To thine own self be true. Dreaming is less about the answer than it is about the question. So rather than end this exercise by suggesting that you come up with the answer to some problem, I'd like to end this exercise today by suggesting you choose a particular question. Something in your life of interest, a curiosity, something maybe you've wondered about much of your life. And it's at hand right now. It's in the back of your mind coming forward right now. It's on the tip of your tongue. You're finding the words to say it. A question, not an answer. An inquiry. I wonder why. I wonder what. I wonder who. I wonder where. I wonder when. I wonder how. I wonder. I wonder. Fill life with wonder. Make it wonderful. By asking better questions and dreaming up solutions, even if you have no idea how to bridge the gap from here to there, dream up the solution. Begin with the end in mind. And bring that question with you into the waking state. Hold it gently, in a sense, in the palm of one or the other of your hands. As if it's fragile, this dream, this question. But bring it with you back to the waking state as you bring to mind now where you are, what you'll see in a moment when you open your eyes, bringing with you this question, this curiosity, this interest, 
that you will pursue in your daily life and affairs. Part of a process of learning to think for yourself, to question authority, to think like a genius, to review this list. There are no boring lives, only boring people. If your life is boring, you've allowed it, you've permitted it. Maybe you even engendered it. Instead, dream, wonder, be amazed, resurrect that childlike fascination. Wow, Kali, even a little gee whiz in there. Eh? And now take a slow breath, inhaling. Fill your lungs, hold as you peak, and as you exhale now, open your eyes. Wide awake, alert, rested, refreshed, back in the room with a full memory of the exercise in the class today. You can always email me at Michael Benner, no, at my initials, I'll remember my email name, I'll be okay, MB, just the initial, MB at theagelesswisdom.com. Love to hear from you, back channel me at MB at theagelesswisdom.com. Anyway, I can help you. I also do private counseling. I hardly ever mention it, but I am doing telephone counseling from Hawaii. Um, one session or a whole series, however I can help you. Counseling, training, we do that as well. Hope you'll join us next week. Look for the newsletter. usually comes out on a Friday. Go visit Focused Passion and get those six free programs, including that accelerated mini-series, you may have kids just starting school right now. Whatever grade they happen to be beginning, it's a new school year for lots of people. Get those accelerated learning programs. Four of them are part of the six that you get for free at FocusedPassion.com. It's called the Family Learning Hour. These are how-to-learn programs, right? All free, just for you, at FocusedPassion.com. Remember the E-D focusedpassion.com and then if you like those and you want to add to your collection subscribe for just 99 cents thanks for being with us this week have a wonderful week and uh, by the way happy birthday to Doreen tomorrow is her birthday and I want to mention that because so many of you know Doreen and love Doreen and care about her so send her some birthday wishes and even through the ethers will do I'm sure she'll receive them and we'll talk to you next Sunday. Be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. Aloha from Maui. This is Michael Benner. <laughs>